And last week we talked about returning the ark to Jerusalem and David's kind of somewhat traumatic journey to get the presence of God central in his kingdom and how he got so far and but the, the car that they were using really, really wasn't the thing to get all the way and they got part way and then there's a, oh, there's a bit of a disaster and everybody's fed up because there's a disaster and David's fed up because of the disaster. Uh, but then the house where the ark sits, stays at Obed-Edom's house is just blessed and blessed and blessed for months and months and David goes, oh, maybe it wasn't such a bad idea. And so they discover how to do it properly and take the ark right to the, the center of, of his nation, create this worship tent and there's peace on the borders. So the, the, the establishment of pre, the presence of God in the center of a community creates ripples out that you cannot always anticipate. And we shared some examples of what we've experienced as a community of that. But it's true corporately. So every single one of us has the Holy Spirit in us, has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwelling in us. But one of the things that God's calling us to do is as a community learn what it is to host all of him amongst us. So the church is meant to be a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So Jesus, Holy Spirit and Father are king in the room, all right, in the middle of the community. They're not just present in you. And as that is established, amazing things start to happen in our lives, in our church lives, but beyond that as well. We're meant to carry that presence into the world around us. And I just challenge you, make Jesus king, because as he, he is king and his presence is the focus of your life, blessing is unavoidable. I'm not saying everything goes right in your life, that's, that's fantasy, that's not, Jesus said in the world we'd have trouble, but blessing will be in your life. And if there's not blessing in your life, sometimes we just go, is Jesus really king of everything? Or is he just king of the bits that are comfortable? So that's the kind of quick summary of what we did last week. So we're on to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to read a little bit of it. It's a fantastic story. I've read over and over again. And often I feel just like Gideon. I'm sure many of us can associate with it. And today... We, we have a word for what Gideon's experiencing. We call it imposter syndrome. So let's read. We're in Judges chapter 6. Hopefully you found it on your phone or wherever you keep your Bible these days. And uh, we'll go from verse 11. So uh, let me just give you a bit of background. So Israel's in trouble. They've been overwhelmed by Midianites. They keep raiding them, uh, plundering them, stealing all their food. Whenever the crops are the harvest come in they just come and steal it all and this has been going on now for seven years so they're really they're hiding in caves they're really they're really oppressed they are really hungry they are poor they are struggling and uh, th th this is verse 11 the angel of the lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah. i don't think that's the american ladies who does a tv show that belonged to joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So the point is, he's threshing wheat out in a wine press. So a wine press has sides to it, because the idea is, anybody knows about making wine, you put loads of grapes in this big vat thing, and then in those days they would have trodden it or had some sort of big stone that put pressure on it to squeeze out the juice. 
so you can hide from the people around you by being in the wine press, but it's a bit stupid. Good for hiding, bad for threshing wheat, because the point of threshing wheat, the way they did it, was that you threshed it in the open so that the breeze would blow away the chaff and you'd be left with the wheat. But in a wine press, there's no breeze. So I don't really know what he thinks he's doing, although he's trying to do something. Um, so he's there threshing out his wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites, unless he's going to go hands and knees through every grain and pick it up. I don't know. He maybe had a plan, but it doesn't make any sense what he's doing. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I love this. This is, this is in the NIV. Gideon says, Pardon me, Lord. <laughs> Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about? <laughs> when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me the sign that this is really you talking to me. So he's not convinced who he's having a conversation with just yet. Please do not go away until I come back and bring you my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait until you return. So he went aside and he prepared a goat and all this sort of stuff. And uh, he brought them out and offered them under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, I'm in verse 20, place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire fled from the rock consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord he exclaimed alas sovereign Lord I've seen an angel the, the angel of the Lord face to face <laughs> but the Lord said to him peace do not be afraid you're not going to die and on and on he builds an altar he pulls down the the, the Asherah pole that they were worshiping foreign gods he blows a trumpet, the Holy Spirit comes on him. He gathers an army of 32,000 people to go against the Midianites. Uh, problem is, there's, you have to read all the way to chapter, chapter 8 of this, but the problem is there's 135,000 Midianites then come to range against them. And God says, you've got 32,000, that's too many. And he tells everybody who's afraid... Go home. I'm surprised that everybody didn't go home, including Gideon. You know, 32,000 against 135,000 is not great odds to start with. So anyway, he loses 22,000 go home, and he's left with 10,000 himself, 10,000 people to face 135,000, and God says there's still too many. And then he says, I'll filter out more for you. So he says, go down to the river and get everybody to drink. And the people who, basically God says to him, everybody who basically doesn't put their face in the river but lifts the water up to their, in their hands to drink, pick them. And there's only 300 that drink like that. Send everybody else home. 
Notice at this point Gideon has not got the option of going home. When this is all done and he's down to 300 against 135,000, God says to him, if you're feeling afraid, <laughs> you don't get the choice of go home. Go down and listen what's happening in the camp. And he goes down and they're having a dream and they're like, the dream is scaring them. Sometimes it's good to listen into the enemy's camp. The enemy is much more worried about what might happen when you figure out who you are in God than you are about him. And so he hears this conversation and this dream and goes like, yeah, let's do it. And basically, 300 people defeat 135,000 because God was on this man. And right at the beginning, he just feels like a complete imposter. So the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And basically, he's going like, do you know, he's looking around as if there's somebody else that this angel is speaking to. And he realizes he's alone. It must be that he's speaking to him. God our Father speaks to the real us. God our Father speaks to the us that he knows. And when he speaks to us about who we are, he's not just offering an opinion to be considered. And that you weigh his opinion of you against your opinion of you. Okay? If we really understand that he's our Father, then we know that he made us. That he knows us through and through. He knows us inside out. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And when he speaks to us, he's telling us who he made us to be. It's not a statement of opinion. It's a statement of created reality in your life. Not to be weighed as like, well, my opinion of me is this and your opinion of me is this. Let me think about this. And sometimes I find that I cannot hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to me because he's talking to this other guy. You know, this big, strong, like, mighty, courageous guy who's... No, he's talking to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God talks to you like he knows you are, not like sometimes how we think we are. He talks to you, so he shows up Here's this guy doing something that seems a bit like, at least he's doing something, but it seems a bit crazy. And he says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And I love that NIV. It's like, what? Pardon me? <laughs> Excuse me? Excuse me? Who's the mighty warrior? Does this look like a mighty warrior to you? It doesn't look like it to me. You must be mistaken. But the Lord persists. Because his, his version of your life is truth. Our, the version we carry in our life is often not the whole truth or a distortion or some sort of watered down version. God is with you, mighty warrior. There's a couple of things that, that, that made it hard for him to hear it, but thank God he stays in the conversation. Yeah? He stays in the conversation and you get the feeling like here's God talking to him like he really sees him, like he really knows what can happen if he just grasps grasp hold of the reality. And you see, so, so that's that reality. And here's Gideon, he's here and he's listening and it feels to me like bit by bit he's edging closer to what the Lord's actually saying. But he doesn't go there in one jump. He's kind of 
quite a long way away from it to start with. He's like, pardon me? I think you've got the wrong person. He's completely in imposter syndrome. A couple of things are going on. The first thing he says is all this history of national defeat and oppression and exploitation by the enemies. He said, it can't be true because look at what our recent experience, many years of oppression and defeat. How can it be true that God is with us and I'm a mighty warrior? Look at these realities. Uh, it doesn't change God's opinion. It doesn't change God's version of this. But what's frustrated me for years in this passage is God doesn't answer Gideon's question. He says, if, if this, if you, like, just, just for a moment, angel of the Lord, which he's not even sure it is the angel of the Lord yet, just if it's true, if, if it's true, why are we in such a crappy place? If what you're saying is true, why is it like this? Come on, let's have a conversation. I want to know. And he doesn't say, God, the angel of the Lord, doesn't answer the why question. Ah! I want to know why it went wrong. I want to know why I'm stuck. I want to know why I'm oppressed. I want to know why I'm sick. I want to know why these things that I believed in haven't been happening. All the things that we were told, right? All the things that we were told about the great exodus and about the great deliverance and about the power of the resurrection. And da, 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 da. Why isn't it? Why isn't it? And, and I really want a conversation about the why it isn't. And what he's saying is, I'm with you. You're a mighty warrior. What kind of conversation? It's not really a conversation. It's, a pro, it's an encounter. And really, I was preparing this. So there's tons we could talk about. But really, what I just want to rest on is really the anatomy of the encounter because I believe God wants to give everybody in this church a fresh encounter for 2024. Something to learn about how to have one with God. And I think Gideon shows us some things about how to have an encounter with Almighty God. Because he doesn't do it on your terms. And that's the bit that messes us up sometimes. We trip over that first time. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, right, God, you're here talking to me. Great. I want to know why. And he's like, okay, first step, that's not flying here. I'm not going to talk to you about why you are in the mess you're in right now. Anybody frustrated by that? You're all looking at me now. No, no, we we would never be frustrated by such a thing. <laughs> Yes, the history, there's the current situation. Surely God doesn't understand. How can you say that you're with us and I'm a mighty warrior given all of that? And sometimes, you see, God wants to encounter every single one of you and every single one of us over and over again. And one of the reasons he wants to do it is because he wants to convince us who we really are and he is not going to be persuaded to our version of who we are. 
Every time that you have an encounter with God, whatever that looks like, he's constantly trying to persuade you and move you from the line you're on, from the position and posture you're in, to the place that he speaks to you about who you are. I remember years ago when we started to learn about this, I had this vision and I was at the end of a very long queue and the sense was at the far end away from me was the glory of God and the Father seated on his throne. And at that end of the queue were like all my spiritual heroes. And they were all at the front. You know, some of them are now dead. Some of them are alive and still doing amazing things. And I was like all the way down. And there's the glory of God. I was at least in heaven and in the queue, but I was all the way back here. Yeah? And and I'm having this vision. I'm having this vision. and, and, And in the vision, it's almost like, this angel gets behind me and moves me all the way to the front of the queue. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. Well, these people are supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. And then I'm at the front of the queue, but, but the throne and the father is like up there. And I'm down here. And you know, like a little kid, you can't quite see over into the wind. I'm like, great. But, and then he shows me this suit of armor, which... I can only feel the leg. So I've got this huge suit of armor, and I'm like, what, what use is this? Like, you know, I'm not a small guy, but I only fit the leg. He said, I want you to start declaring who you are. And in this vision, I start declaring who I am. I grow into this suit of armor, and I'm looking face to face with the Father on the throne. You see, I mean, I was in that, he was showing me, I want you to line up with the reality of you have a face-to-face relationship with me. Andy Merrick, you have a face-to-face relationship with me that I've bought and paid for. It's nothing to do with becoming like one of your spiritual superheroes. You have a face-to-face relationship with me that I bought and paid for and I want to enjoy you in that place and you to enjoy being in that place. And not only that, you're a mighty warrior. You have an amazing suit of armor because I've called you to do great things. Kind of lives with you, that. That's what's going on here for, for, for Gideon. So don't get stuck in your why. Don't, let, don't trip over like the first thing. is like, right, I'm no, no further with you in this encounter, Lord, until you tell me why. He's not going to tell you why. It's not because he's stupid. It's just not about why. He's about you. And I believe he wants to give every one of us a fresh encounter and part of that is going to be a stepping out of our why into, into our who. We can get trapped, get stuck in the why it hasn't worked, why it's not happening like I thought it was. Why, why am I reduced to this situation? Whereas when we encounter him like this, he renews our identity, he lifts our head, he gives us purpose. But it requires us to surrender to God's voice and not put our own questions above his declarations, his affections and what he's saying. Do you see what I'm saying? 
actually for a Westerner, why is probably near the top of the tree of things we need to know. We've been taught we have to know why. Huh? And God is not going to become a Westerner. He's your father. And he knows what you need and it's not a why. All right? He knows you think you need a why, but a why is not what you need. He could probably give you one, but actually he's a good dad and he's giving you what you need rather than what you think you need. So the first thing in, in, in this new season, this new year of coming into fresh encounters with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is that we are willing to listen to their version of us and that we are willing to submit our need for a why to listen to his declaration over us and receive his embrace of us. Are we happy with that? Don't get all kind of stubborn and I've got to know why. Well, you could be stuck there for quite a long time. You can't manipulate him. And I'm so glad that Gideon doesn't stick there. He kind of moves on. He's not fully convinced, but he does move on. He's a, and sometimes in an encounter with God, you just got to go with it. Like, well, I don't really understand what's happening. I don't know what this feels like. I don't know what he's doing. I'm going to go with it. I think some of you this morning, you're, you're a bit stuck in your why. That's why I felt the Holy Spirit say, I'm going to release people from being stuck in their why this morning. Why did this happen? Why am I where this is? You know, fill the blanks for you. He wants you to step out of your why and in doing that, you're going to see him, hear him in a fresh, fresh, powerful way. Amen? And if that's you, just right now, just want to take a moment. I wondered about getting you to stand. Like, no, let's not do that. In your heart, stand before the Lord and say, I am stuck in my why and I give it to you. Just take a moment, just shut your eyes. Say, God, am I stuck in a why? Am I holding you to a why that you have to answer my questions? I surrender it to you and I hear you. I hear what you're saying to me. In Jesus' name. So here we have good old Gideon. He's processing his stuff. He is processing his stuff because his next, so the next bit of the conversation is, uh, you, Gideon, you are going to save Israel. You're going to deliver them from their enemies. And he's, so the first, first thing God says to him is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he's like, you got the wrong guy. And how could it be true with all this? crap and all this situation and the next thing is so God doesn't change what he's saying he says I'm with you you're a mighty warrior let it land let it land I'm with you I'm a mighty warrior and then the next thing he says because of this reality you are going to do this crazy darn amazing thing which is deliver all of your nation from their oppressors and his answer to that is pardon me Lord like, you must be wrong about that too, God, because 
just don't, in case you didn't realize, uh, this is, I think this is the message translation. I'm the runt of the litter of the least significant tribe. Um, so what he's saying is, I have no significance, I have no influence, and I have no resources, so how can it be true that I can save Israel? Okay? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have no significance, I have no influence, and therefore I have no resources, so how can I possibly pull off what you just said that I am supposed to be doing? On two counts, Lord, you got the wrong guy. I'm not mighty. Where are you? And how on earth can I pull this incredible thing off because I don't have significance, I don't have influence, and I have no resources? I would like to suggest that's the next thing that comes up inside of us when we have an encounter with God. And he starts to say, I'm going to do something awesome with your life. You're like, who, me? How could it possibly be me? You know, you don't understand how weak I am, how quiet I am, how, how, how little there is in the bank, how, 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 how I'm still sick, or how you don't understand God. You don't, nobody really does understand. And it's why he's saying. Because if you can trace this through the whole Bible, one thing God doesn't need is your resources. It's absolutely certain. He doesn't need you to have a lot in the bank. There's a song we used to sing in kids' work. You don't need to be big to be beautiful. You don't need mighty muscles to be strong. Remember the song. Isn't this great? None. See, the reasons that we have that discourage us, like, you know, I'm not much of anything, I haven't got much of an inheritance, I don't have a lot of influence, I don't feel very significant, I don't feel very strong or powerful, all that kind of stuff that sometimes goes, I'm talking to normal people on a, goes on in our head, and we tell God about it, none of it persuades him that he's wrong. We have this huge, sometimes in our thinking, this huge set of things like, wow, this is just, just completely disqualifies me. And he's like, no, it doesn't. But we can't live in our disqualification. So much of the church lives in its version of itself. And if God's been doing anything in the last 20 years, it's been trying to persuade us to believe his version because his version is reality. And he's calling us to things greater than we can do on our own. In fact, if my vision or your vision for your life is only, uh, if, if your vision for your life can be achieved by your resources, your efforts, your money, your connections, it's not actually God's vision. It's not enough. It's always more God's vision always requires God. Always requires God. What I love about this is, do you notice how it says, if this really is you, let me go away, get this offering, come back, and then we'll see what happens. Because he's not, you see, if, 
if this really is God, Gideon knows he's got to change his mind. That's what we call repentance. And I think we should stop calling it repentance because what it means is change your mind. But Gideon's cottoned that if this is really the Lord and not just some sort of random aberration or stranger or da da da, it really is the Lord, it's on, the change has to be on his end. All right? He's got to change his mind and line up with all this stuff that's coming at him. So he's like, so he wants to jumble check. So he's on the journey of realizing who he is, who it is that he's encountering. And you see this with the Apostle Paul when he gets smitten and falls off his donkey or horse or camel or whatever he's riding. riding. The thing he says is, who are you, Lord? And I think it's when he's telling his story to Agrippa, he said, this happened to me. And I said, who are you, Lord? So he's having an encounter, but he knows it's important to know who the encounter is with. And he says, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. And his next thing is, Okay, so what do you want me to do, Lord? You see, so Gideon, Gideon is in this same spot. If this is who he really thinks it is, the only possible response to that is, okay, what do you want me to do? This is on your terms now, not mine. And he comes back and, and the offering is set alight and he realizes he's in the presence of the angel of the Lord, which many commentators believe is a pre-incarnation visitation of Jesus. You have an encounter with Jesus, which we love. We love encounters with Jesus, don't we? But now, see, I'm not strong and mighty. I can't get the lid off my water bottle. But he's with me, mighty warrior. Sometimes an encounter with the Lord is, is like a process like Gideon was in. It's a process of uh, surrender. It's a process of yeses. It's a process of realizing. It's, it's not just a crash, bang, wallop. It's all done. I remember sitting in, actually in a Randy Clark meeting somewhere down south a few years back. And he was talking about impartation and encounters with God and, and the Holy, presence of the Holy Spirit. And as he was talking, I was like, oh, I, I just got that feeling again that sometimes you have. It's like, oh, I've forgotten you again, Holy Spirit. You're so important to me, and yet I keep forgetting you. I forget, keep forgetting to prioritize you. Yeah, I welcome you in my life, Holy Spirit. As I'm having this kind of internal conversation with the Holy Spirit, I can actually feel a sensation coming up my legs like a tingling sensation rising up my body and I know it's the Holy Spirit and I know he wants to keep going but I also know that I have the opportunity to say oh that's enough don't want to because I also have the feeling if he goes all the way I could be in a real mess (laughs) like publicly messed up so you know stays in my legs But it wasn't, it was, it became an overwhelming encounter, which was very, very messy. But it was in this process of, okay, yes, Lord, I I have forgotten you, Holy Spirit. I welcome your activity. You you can go all the way with me today. And of course he did. But he doesn't control you. We get, we get to be in the process. 
But the outcome is mighty. Here with Gideon, the outcome is victory for his nation because one man, one man, one person yields himself to an encounter with the Lord, yields himself to the Lord's opinion of him despite all the situation that he's in and doesn't allow the arguments about why it's so terrible to overrule what God is saying right now. We need encounters like that. God wants to give every single one of you a new encounter for 2024 with him. Do you want one? Do you want, like, do you want him in your legs or are you an all-the-way kind of person today? And uh, it's not me you need to tell, it's him. So could we just have another moment, say, Holy Spirit, uh, in your own words, just tell him you're willing for, for everything, all the way messy, some of the deepest, most profound things that hinder us can get overcome and overwhelmed and healed just in a single encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's just amazing. Um, <laughs> See, God's got big stuff for you this year. He's got bigger stuff for you than you've imagined you may have planned your holiday. You may be hoping for a promotion. You may just be hoping this year is, your, is better than last year. But he's got bigger than that. But it's rooted in an encounter with him where you become more persuaded that not just are you at the front of the queue in his presence, but you are face-to-face -face with him and you're a mighty warrior in his kingdom. Ah... <sighs> Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Huh. Isn't it good that he takes the presence of the Lord seriously in the end? Kind of moves out of the realm of a conversation or out of the realm of theory into, oh, it's really you. And an encounter with really him can start off in all kinds of different ways. And because we're all different, but he wants to deepen his encounter with you today and during the next few weeks. The start of this year, he wants you to have a more profound encounter with him than before because he's got more profound things for you to do and see breakthrough in than you've seen before. Do you want that? You don't have to tell me, you just have to tell him. And when he starts doing something in you, like it could be a fizzy feeling on the inside, could be heat in your hands, could be just a moment of clarity in your head, could be all kinds of things, but he's looking for you to go, oh, that's you, yeah, I'll go with what you're doing, rather than, oh, it's got to be for me like it is for him and I'm waiting until I get cr crashed down to the floor. Do, do you see? That might happen, it might not happen. That's not absolutely missing the whole point is whether you fell over or not. And being afraid of what it might look like can stop you encountering what it's really like for you. It's deep, profound, releasing, healing, lining you up with your true self who's created you to be. So can, can, we, can we stand? And uh, I'm just going to lead you through, through here. Um,
Our goal is that we had a little chat at elders about this. As elders, we want to lay hands on all of you. We may not get around to everybody this morning, but in the next few weeks, we want to lay hands on all of you that you, you would be having a fresh encounter with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your life at the start of this year, in the next few weeks. And if you want that, I'd encourage you to hunger for it and ask him for it right now, but also in the days to come, because there's always more. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer that I'm going to borrow from Mr. Randy Clark. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would meet the faith and hunger in my heart. Just pray that with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would meet the faith and hunger in my heart. Bless me in the name of Jesus. Bless me in the name of Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit's fire come on me. Let your Holy Spirit's fire come on me. I ask that you would release your compassion and love into my heart. I ask that you would release your compassion and love into my heart right now. Let's do that again. Right now. I ask that you would especially impart to me the gifts of word of knowledge, healings and prophecy. I ask that you would especially impart to me the gifts of word of knowledge, healings and prophecy and working of miracles. And working of miracles. As I wait in your presence, Father, with my hands out before you, please do that if you would, and my palms raised, I, I ask that your power would touch my hands. I ask. Or any other part of me you wish to touch right now. Inside or outside. Multiply your power, Lord. Increase your power, Lord. Baptize me afresh with the Holy Spirit. Fill my inner man with love and peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.